It's uh, Rick Madison here with uh, Jeff Cox, CEO of Simply Benefits. Uh, how are you doing today, Jeff? Good, my friend. How are you? Very well. Uh, I wanted to really keep it local, but there's there's one thing that seems to a lot of people are chatting about, which is the wait times in Kelowna for medical care is uh, seems to be a growing issue, and obviously we have a, a population that you know keeps growing. So, do you see any kind of end in sight, or or are we just going down a wrong path right now? I would suggest we're going down a wrong path. I mean. You got to look at fundamentally a couple of things. We're not getting the support or the or the or the reassessment of, of resources. This isn't unique to, to, to just this. But but the, the, the reality is, as people continue to move into the city, we're not having the resources also be reallocated to the city um, as needed to support um, the families or 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 the or the service that that is coming to work here. So. That's going to be challenge number one. Challenge number two, which is a which is which is you know a broader spectrum. You got to back it up. Is is the medical system in British Columbia, and that for that matter, Canada, uh, in general. So you're looking at things um, like a fee for service model um, that that exists in British Columbia right now that is now actually favored towards virtual healthcare, which is very disturbing to me uh, versus in person visits. Um, due due to the two years uh, that we spent really in in, in pandemic mode, so again, slow government uh, changes um, are obviously going to play a big factor in this. But until we make fundamental changes to the way we um, compensate our our physicians, um, we are going to probably face these challenges for for some time. So I have a friend who's uh, moving back to Toronto. His wife is a GP. Uh, and and she just said th- there is no way uh, BC is is treating their their doctors the same way Ontario is. In fact, so much so that, like I said, they're moving back. And I think, you know, based on again anecdotal evidence, we might need to reevaluate things. And that's been clear for years. And and I'm and I'm obviously not pretty publicly not a fan of of the NDP, but it, it, it could have been changed by the liberals too, and it wasn't. And and I agree with you. I mean, and it's not a, these are not small moves. We need to fundamentally dismantle our healthcare system and put it back together on so many levels. I mean, it's not a matter of funding for the record. I mean, the data shows that, that we have the funding to support healthcare. It's the bureaucracy for one, that is that is probably one of the biggest challenges. Um, but again, it's the model, you know, you're talking about a model that's been around for decades, uh, as, 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 as doctors have evolved, as families has changed, as, as we've seen, you know, equality in, in, in men and women and others, um, adjust. Um, these are, these are, these are things that we haven't changed. And I, you know, I heard a lot of, from what I understand, a lot of doctors now entering, entering the space aren't looking for uh, fee for service and just, you know, pile on as much as you can, as quick as you can, as fast as you can. A lot of them um, have tried to find a, a work-life balance because they recognize that if they don't, they're going to be, they're going to be faced with, with challenges at home with spouses and children. And so we've made no adjustments to this model. We don't, we offer one model. And if you don't like the model, then, then, then we suggest you go somewhere else. It, it's a ridiculous <laughs> You know, that's a ridiculous thought in a time when we're trying to attract uh, physicians and nurse practitioners and RNs, for that matter, 
um, to the province. Now, Jeff, we were just chatting about the the wait times in Kelowna, some some ideas surrounding why we have an issue, and and I have to share this with you. I heard um, there was a number of oncologists in uh, Victoria that were actually asked to leave because they weren't vaccinated or they were against it. And, and those, those oncologists have not been replaced. And, uh, and I know that there was a few people that, that left the field. Is that, is that part and parcel with why we're experiencing such, such high wait times, you think? Yeah, listen, I think it could be, I, I mean, there, there's no question there's been added pressures in in almost every area of life regarding the pandemic that's not helping let you know let let's be let's be clear that's the you know if you're gonna let 1500 nurses go as an example too you know and 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 not backfill them these are challenges that are obviously piling on but but i would suggest that's the straw that broke the camel's back it's not been our issue we have had a healthcare issue for years and and again i go back to it when you're creating fee-for-service models um, doctors are doing what they need to do to be efficient and so you're watching uh, doctors move away from from family doctor and move um, towards things like walk-in clinics which allows them more flexibility and to see more patients but it really takes away from patient care so yeah I, I think I think drawing a line of sand and saying if you're unvaccinated um, you you lose your job doesn't help especially uh, I would say post Christmas um, you know, to where we are today, considering that vaccinations have not stopped the spread um, to, to fully vaccinated people. Um, they have not stopped illness, although there's still data that says it's reduced illness. Um, I, I would suggest that's a pretty hard stance to take considering where we are today. It was easier stance to take, to take late 2021. I don't think there's a lot of data to today to say unvaccinated people are causing us more, uh, more uh, or, or more concern than than not. I I'm, I mean I'm not I'm not arguing the fact that 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 it has definitely reduced people's time in hospitals, but we've also seen um, the 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 disease morph as well. And 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 so I don't I I mean again the problem in our country and and the challenges that we're having is not getting true uh, data. And so it's very hard to say for sure what's what's true and what's not um, based on the amount of amount of I don't know how else to say this crap we've been fed for, for, for two years. And I'm uh, sincere, Rick. I mean, come on, there's, this is, they have not been honest. And so it, it allows what that does is it opens up for door for people that critically think they're not crazy. I don't think, I don't think I'm that far out there. I'm pretty center when it comes to most things, but when you continue to tell untruths, it, you start the critical people start to ask questions. And that's where we, that's where we are today because of that. No, it's uh, it's absolutely true, and and what's interesting is is as much as we want to drill down on some of the news, it just seems to get even more flawed. So uh, un- unfortunately, we're a lot of people are actually bending more towards different news sources, more independent news sources, because they're they're starting to get that cynical eye towards the uh, the massive corporations that that own those big outlets, right? Yeah, and I'm you know, shifting gears here, but but you know when you get into in, into the reporting of traditional news, I can define it for me to one moment where I where I frankly gave up. I was sitting in front of the television when the Freedom Convoy was in Ottawa. I was watching CBC report that the war you you would have thought the war memorial was under attack. It was a, a it was a news desk reporter who was suggesting that the war memorial in Ottawa was being torn down. 
Well, on Twitter, I was watching post-millennial actually post videos of what was really happening, which was a group of people that had very politely taken down the fence and started cleaning up the war memorial. And then I think said the Lord's Prayer and read O Canada. And I'm and I'm looking at what I'm watching on CBC and and what was being spun as as a group of fascists taking down the war memorial and what I was actually physically watching on video from post-millennial um, was the truth, quite obviously, because I could see it. That, to me, is where you start really driving a wedge in, in critical thought, because now I can't trust um, that reporting, and, and, and I have no reason to. And then I start saying, well, what other crap have they fed me? And, and, and how, the, how many other lies are they telling on a regular basis? Again, this is not about the freedom convoy. This is about me being able to witness with my own eyes the truth versus what's reporting. And it's those things that are deteriorating what was supposed to be good media in this country. And we're going to switch gears a little bit here. Now, um, in, in Kelowna specifically, it, there has been some some murmurs of, of are we better off with a municipal uh, police force? And now a news story just came out about an all they're, they're calling on BC to replace RCMP with provincial police force. So what, what's your sense of this, Jeff? Well, I think Rick, the way you first and foremost, you have to question like anything in life, why would we make that change? And is there justification for the change? And my answer to that would be probably not. And um, I, I would say this, is there, has there been challenges in the RCMP for sure? Um, do I think the RCMP as a, as a blanket statement is, is broken or bad? No, I don't. I think what's, what's affecting this or, or where we should be looking is in our judicial system. So I, I, I believe it's our judicial system that's placing uh, more pressure on the RCMP, um, which is causing the challenge. I don't think creating municipal or provincial uh, police forces is going to change it. It's the same it's the same group of people um, wearing a different uniform. And I, and I, for years as a child and into my, and into my youth and, and as an adult, were, were, were proud of what the RCMP meant in Canada, and I still stand by that. Sure. Is, is it perfect? Nope. Nothing is. I'm not. You're not. Um, I mean, always need to be, it always needs to be under scrutiny. But let's be honest. We're not giving them the support that they need to do their job. So, so for me... Um, I would rather fix that problem than say changing their uniform is going to make the difference. I, I, I can't see that that making a significant change. Let's go fix the problem, which is which is the catch and release program that exists at almost every level of crime in 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 Canada, more specifically British Columbia, and further that corner. And and I would almost you know say that there's a dollars and cents that a lot of people like. Like anything, people think, okay, well, if we change, it's going to get better, right? And I, I do have a feeling that once the, the true cost accounting of a new police force with new training and all of those things that are inherent in the RCMP, once that comes into light, we're going to, there might be a lot of backpedaling because I do think the cost model is, is not exactly, uh, they're not being true to themselves. I, I think, and again, I'm guessing, but I do think the RCMP delivery model is, is actually going to be less expensive than creating an entirely new police force. Without question. But, you, you know, there's other positives to, to a national police force. 
you know, the ability um, to move, uh, w you know, within the police force. So no one's sitting in the same place. Nothing gets stagnant. You're not talking about, you know, the same um, um, officer in the same place um, dealing with the same people, uh, which, which, again, when you talk about things like where there may be systemic problems um, in, 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 in policing, that can be one of them. So we, we, with the National Police Force like the RCMP, have the ability to make those moves. The other thing is the sharing of data. So, so we have the ability when you have a national police force to talk to an RCMP officer in Ottawa that that needs to talk about a, a crime that may be in, committed in Vancouver. There are many reasons that a national police force makes sense. Costing is for surely one of them. Um, but but the other piece is the ability to to share information freely um, within the force um, to help uh, you know be, better enforce the laws. Mm -hmm. Did you, you probably have Twitter, Jeff. Did you see who's, uh, who might be getting over the, the reins of Twitter? I did. I did. And then I saw the media follow that then followed, which, uh, which to me is laughable. I, I'm, I'm amazed. You know, I think Rick, for me, this is the concern. I, I've watched this pure panic and oh my goodness, one man might control Twitter. Well, Twitter has 400 and 24, 424 million users, I believe, which if you say that in isolation, you say, oh, that's significant. Against other social media platforms, it's it's actually way down the list. Um, I, I find it amazing, though, that people have that concern. They have no, con like, so, so in that breath, they're willing to talk about that, but they're not willing to talk about the fact that the federal government drop six billion dollars into mainstream media in Canada to control the narrative. Further to that, one point four billion into the CBC, which 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 I mean it's it's blatantly controlling the narrative. And we're concerned about a private citizen buying a social media platform that has four hundred and twenty four million users that can that that can then put their views out. It's not like it's not like he's buying the user's message and, and there are issues like, oh, it's control and, and, and hate speech and trolling. And well, welcome to social media. Like, like we have had this challenge for years. I don't think Elon Musk is going to be the problem. And that's the part that just amazes me is that everybody goes pure panic on this and yet is silent on the fact that Justin Trudeau gives CBC $1.4 billion a year to have Rosie tell his message. Like, like that disconnection to me is ridiculous. <laughs> And it's funny too. Whenever, uh, whenever I refer to it as state-funded media, everyone goes, "Well, it's not though. They're they're uh, they're actually even uh, in their reporting." The old CBC, and and I always get a kick out of that. I'm like, it's pretty tough to bite the hand that feeds you with uh, unbiased reporting if you know that financially you cannot sustain yourself without that check. So I, I'm not sure uh, balanced reporting and, and CBC, in the last few years especially, can really be a true statement. Well, and, and Rick, you can go beyond that. You don't, you don't have to take our word for it or do these, do these analytics on your own. I mean, there are multiple stories of, of people leaving CBC for that reason and then coming out about it. Uh, Rex Murphy, who still writes for the National Post, talks about it on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I mean, these. So, so if you don't, if you're, if you're, if you, if you think everybody that says it is is down some kind of rabbit hole, I, I, I would then go back and say, okay, so Rex Murphy spent most of most of my life there, thirty plus years, and now sits on the other side of the fence and goes, 
I couldn't stomach being there for these reasons. If that's not enough for you, like when when is enough going to be enough? What what will tip it for you to go? Oh yeah, maybe they're right. And Jeff, we were talking about uh, Elon Musk and, and Twitter and CBC and all things uh, media related, but that uh, that Bill C ten, I mean, um, it has a lot of people uh, activated, I guess you could say, including uh, Pierre Polivia, sorry, Pierre Polyver. Polyev. Uh, who was talking about defunding the CBC, and then he also brought up Bill C-10. What What is your sense of that as far as, I mean, I think they're talking about getting a moderator for to, to decide unilaterally what's what's considered hate speech or, or anything that doesn't agree with the, the government's narrative. So the question I think really becomes is what are they allowed to moderate? So... So what do you consider an extremist view? What is considered hate speech? And and listen, don't get me wrong. There is a fine line here. I am not, I, I am a promoter of free speech, but free speech to a point. And, 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 and there, is a, there is a line that easily gets crossed. Um, and, and again, I, I, you know, I just find it amazing when, when mainstream media wants to make their point, they go to that, that, that part of this, that part of this pitch of it. But, but the reality is the concern here is, is, is what if they apply this to political views? So, so what if I'm outspoken about a political view that I don't agree with and all of a sudden I've been censored? And, and so he says, well, that's not the point of it. Okay, well, hang on a second. You're doing it now. <laughs> and now you want to put a bill in place? <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean, come on. That, that's, that's the key. And nobody cares uh, about, about my dog videos. Right. I mean, I mean, I mean, and that's people's arguments. Well, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is if we have a government that becomes authoritarian, which let's just hypothetically say that may have happened over the last couple of years, who gets to speak out? And if you put legislation in place and a moderator and that moderator is controlled by that government, all of a sudden you don't have free speech. It's a very fine line to walk. Um but but I I don't I how do you go there is is the question and the history of this government specifically says they're not going to do it well. Well, and and the other thing that I think worries or has a concern among a lot of people is probably the aspect of what constitutes an audience. So if you have more than ten people following your feed, um, you know you might be described as somebody with an audience, and and that actually gives that bill teeth where. You know they are going to make sure that anybody with a large amount of followers, aka an influencer, they're going to pay special attention to. So it seems like there's a there's a lot of wiggle room, and I think that should make uh, it should make people uncomfortable. I would agree with you. I you anytime um, something uh, challenges the charter rights and freedoms in this country, we need to talk about it. And again, I'm going to go back to it because anybody that'll listen to this. That, that doesn't agree will go to the extreme. No one, you, not I, I know you very well. No one is promoting hate speech. I'm not, there's no, there's no room for bigotry in this country. There's, there's, there's no room for inequities. I, I am, I am a believer that everyone should have an equal and fair playing field, but I don't believe that it needs to be moderated by a government that's already proven that, that they will pick and choose their storyline. And that's the fear around this. Um, I, I, it's, it's, it, that to me is a bigger fear than, 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 than controlling hate speech. Because listen, I will call out hate speech. You will call out hate speech. We self-govern that. 
in my in 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 our in our reality, no one puts up with that. You don't put up with it when it's in front of you. You don't put up with 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 it when it's online. Canadians, and this is what it comes back to, I believe, Rick is, and and this comes back to what happened over the past two years within this country. I'm a grown adult. I can make decisions for myself. Mm-hmm. By human nature, I, I evaluate risk. It's built into our DNA. Some people are riskier than others. Yes, we want to protect, we want to protect the, the greater good of society. But, but, but again, at, w- at what point, at what point is, is the control too much? And, and I would say Bill C-10 is well beyond the point of too much. The favorite question of mine is is really what's your dream concert? So it could be one you want to see in the future. <laughs> it may be one that you've already seen. I don't. I don't know. Give Give me some some examples of of great concerts and maybe one you haven't seen yet. Oh man! And 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 here's the thing. It's like you know, it's like asking me what my favorite food is. It's like, well, hang on. You got to. It's like you got to do it by by. You almost got to do it by genre, right? And and then and then you can actually break it down. Um, not even by, by, by genre, but timeline. So super tough question to answer uh, for me, I would say. Um, some of the best concerts I've been to, uh, Kings of Leon would have been up there at the Gorge, um, mm. kind of before they really got mainstream. And it was like kind of you were a diehard fan at that point. Um, that, 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 that was probably one of, one of the most exciting. I, ironically, I'm not like a diehard fan of Coldplay, but I saw them. Uh, 20 years ago when XY came out um, and maybe it was maybe it was the night of my I mean, maybe it was just that night in my life but again they put on a, a really um, you know solid show um, I'm 41 so I grew up you know in the 90s so like you know would I <laughs> you know would I like to when I like to morph back and and you know Nirvana Pearl Jam on the other side of that like NWA uh, you know I mean it, you know I think in those days Dre Snoop like those are I, I'm it's that's a tough one for me to answer um, I would say right now though like uh, if I if I didn't feel like I'd be a, like a grandpa when I was there like I would still love to attend Coachella I think um, in the right times Coachella has done um, some of the some of the you know some of some of the best up and coming um, you know, shows in, in time. Like, you know, they always have mainstream artists, but I, I think back, I remember when Vampire Weekend performed there kind of right as they were coming, coming, coming onto the mainstream too. These are bands that would have been, um, you know, pretty, pretty cool to see. So th- I, I know that's convoluted, but, um, man, we, I could like, how, how long do we have? I could go on and on and on. Well, and on. I, I got to tell you one of the, f- well, I have a few regrets. Uh, this is one of them. So, Back in in the day when the Chicago Bulls were were crushing NBA opponents, and uh, they were playing the Grizzlies in Vancouver, and at the same time, uh, the Rolling Stones were playing, and it was like the Steel Wheels tour or something like that. Anyway, I had a chance. I, I had tickets to the Bulls, and I also had tickets to the the Rolling Stones, and I thought, oh, okay, well, well, Michael Jordan's going to play for a really long time, so that's, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave those. And I'm going to go to the Rolling Stones because, I mean, let's face it, they're old as as rocks. So there's no way they can possibly tour past this. And sure enough, uh, Jordan has an unbelievable fourth quarter. He says the best 12 minutes he's ever played. And the Stones, I, I think, still tour. So anyway, it's uh, it's one of those great uh, regrets in my life. I, and I would, I would, so I'm with you on that. I, I have a moment. And, and I actually don't know why. Well, 
I can't tell you today why I didn't go. I know it was like a decision in time where I had to make a decision to go somewhere else. But I, on the other side of it, um, I didn't go to, a, I had tickets and was on my way to a Fleetwood Mac concert and, and didn't go. And, and I don't think that it'll, even if it, even, even if they do, do get back on tour, uh, I, I, it'll never be what, what, what I would have missed in that night, I guess. So. <laughs> oh man, a couple of regrets right there. We're hearing a lot about this. Um, the fact that the liberals are really having a difficult time, uh, justifying the, the Emergencies Act and and why they used it, and I think on the nat well on the international stage, obviously they were. Uh, Mr. Trudeau was was called upon. What 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 is you think is is uh, is really going to be? Is is this the the sword he falls on, or like what is it? <laughs> I at this at this point, Rick. I mean, if there was ever a Teflon, a real life Teflon Don, I I actually believe he might be running this country. I. <laughs> I mean, you hope so, because uh, if I go back to it, um, and, and again, if we look at that moment in time uh, for, for critical thinkers, why would you implement the Emergency Act? Well, the justification could have been the closure of borders. Um, again, we, we, you know, when you're looking at when you're looking at, at border at, at border closure blockages, which have now been proven that it actually didn't disrupt um, <clears throat> any of the movements because trucks just got rerouted. That's been reported now and very clear that may have been justification at the time maybe but the thing is those blockades were well clear by the time the emergency act was put into place mm-hmm. okay so what's the next shift well the occupy you know effectively if you want to go here the occupation of ottawa well i think they probably needed to hear what the rest of the country um was 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 feeling and thinking and 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 again so uh, you know, if, if, if you, if you want to make light of it, cool. You, you implemented the emergencies act to remove the bouncy count, count, uh, castle and some hot tubs. I get it. That sounds extreme. <laughs> now, if you want to try and get a little more mainstream, yep, there was trucks, uh, honking, um, you know, Ottawa was disrupted. Um, is that an, is that, does, do you need to enact the emergencies act once known as the war measures act? only ever implemented by one other person the guy who who did it his dad i mean come on i i when i think of the emergencies act which was called the war measures act for a long time um the reality is it is for serious events that challenge this country and i don't think uh the freedom convoy justified it and i don't think now they, they they can justify it i there, there is, there was, there was um, almost anything that happened in Ottawa that was unlawful at that time has been proven not to be attached to that group. Yeah, because so, it but, wasn't, wasn't there an arson or something that they were talking about was part of the Freedom right. Convoy? It was the arson of the apartment mm-hmm. building, and you know they blocked the doors and all that kind of. And, right. and it turns out it had nothing to do with the convoy. Nothing to do with it. Yeah. And and again, I, I, you know, no one. I, I loved to. I mean, I read it this morning with somebody saying, "Oh, can they justify this?" And they started talking about, you know, Nazi flags and anti-Semitic things that happened. Well, well, again, I, I, no one in the Freedom Convoy has has ever made reference to that. It was never what they were asking for. There's never about white supremacy. I mean, who's to say um, that some leftist didn't put a mask on, grab that flag, and walk through the crowd? That that, and again, if you if you go back to it, why? Like, and again, I don't. I protest 
should happen. Protest is part of democracy. So I don't have a problem with this either. But why does Justin Trudeau feel that in the height of a pandemic, um, against the rules that his government puts in place, he can go kneel at a BLM protest, but can't show his face. In fact, they hide him while this convoy is going on um, uh, because he feels so threatened. Well, wait like, a second. He he may or he may or may not have had COVID. Okay, you got to remember he may or may not have been in contact with somebody that may have had it. Yes, yes. I I I don't I. Fair enough. And again, like I'm pretty sure we were five or six days in at that point. I, 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 I again, I'm, I'm going to call bull. And, and again, I just go back to to ask your question. What, what can you justify this? I don't think they could justify it then. I, I am finding, and, and again, they're finding hard reasons to justify now. They, you, again, this week, they used your example of the arson. They tried to bring it up. Thank goodness for the conservative center that said it is, you know, he actually stopped the member from speaking to say, this has been proven not to be connected. Can you please have that removed from this from 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 the record? And I, I, again, this is just ex, ex, extremism breeds extremism, and and that's what we continue to see happen with this government. And Jeff, we we were lucky enough to have uh, the conservative uh, Pierre Polyev come through. He's he's vying for the leadership, of course. And he spoke about uh, immigrants, and I think he's he's getting a large following just based on the fact that he's he's calling a, a truth uh, for a lot of people. Because in the Okanagan, when we had COVID and we couldn't bring in uh, the migrant workers to pull the fruit off the trees, I can tell you this: a lot of fruit growers were had had fruit dying on the vines because they didn't have anyone to to take it off. And I think Pierre's kind of touched on a, a nerve point for a lot of people, which is we need immigration. Like, let's let's open up. Uh, let, let's figure this out. I would agree, and, and it's and it's been more than that. And this is where I find the messaging again back to mainstream media uh, from what they're saying versus versus what I'm actually witnessing. And so, you know, they're painting the whole thing as 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 white supremacy rallies, rallies on the extreme of it. But then they're diving in and saying, look at the color of this crowd, which which, again, I'm like, I thought I, I love how these ultra woke people can now start talking about the color of crowds in this situation, which I, I find odd. But I also find not true because I've seen him endorsed by many ethnicities. But again, when people make comments like he's a mini Trump and I go, well, hang on a second. He's he's actually the exact opposite of of Trump because he believes that immigration is one of the keys um, to getting Canada back on its feet. And he believes that what we should be able to do is if we have a family immigrate and they have an education, we should allow them to participate in, in, in whatever that trained education is. And he has made comments to say, if we're not comfortable because of where they came from, let's have them write or train um, whatever, whatever other pieces that we feel are not part of our system today and get them to work in, in the area that they need to work in. Well, that was not a Donald Trump message. I can tell you that. <laughs> and it's far from a white supremacy message. So I, I again, I'll go back to the challenge of, of, a, of, of a gentleman who is saying these people are part of our future and these people are how we're going to get better. And then tell me, where where the message of, that white is right is in there because I don't hear it and I'm and I'm extremely bought into some of the things that, that Pierre says I don't agree with all of it I I think he's going to run a fine line 
um, in the crypto game because I because frankly, I don't think the world's ready. Um, but the fact he's willing to challenge uh, the Bank of Canada, the fact he's willing to challenge um, mainstream media to me um, says that he's the right guy for the job. But if we get back to core competencies, uh, this guy is is getting embraced by suburban uh, ethnic groups, which is which is a real key um, um, to success. And and you know what, if 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 people if people want to paint him uh, the way they're painting him, I think they're going to have a rude awakening the day that he gets elected. So it was funny when when I did a podcast with Pierre. It's Pierre now because you know him and I are pals. But anyway, um, <laughs> at the end of it, I said there's two two actual reasons why I think you have a shot at the leadership and, and I think you might win the PM's office. And he said, what are those? I said, one, you got man sized hands. You don't have small hands. You got, you got man sized hands. He goes, thank you very much. And I said, number two is you have a smoke show for a wife. And, and, uh, he started laughing at that. He says, I'm, I'm so excited to tell her that tonight. I, I just cannot, <laughs> can't wait. And I said, you're welcome. And I, and I talked about Moneyball. I said, if you've seen the movie Moneyball, and he, he kind of chuckles and said, "Confidence, I get it." <laughs> but you know, it's it's, and I agree with you. And, and she is a very very good, attractive woman. But I think where he is making inroads is there's a video of 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 him carrying her to the car after a, obviously a long day of the campaign trail, and them having what appeared to be a very sincere heart to heart moment between. Um, between uh, two spouses. And and that kind of, um, if that messaging gets out, that is the messaging uh, that will win the hearts of people. You know, there's the messaging about how we get better, but then there's the sincerity of a human being. And and again, I go back to it. I believe that is a big piece of his uh, chance of winning is his is the sincerity of, of him, the relationship he has with his family, and the relationship uh, that, 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 again, he's, he's having with the public. And I, I guess one last point on this. I mean, the fact, and, and I thought it was amazing when he, when he uh, the, after the steam whistle incident, he, I love the way he called them out. You know, you know, the woke folk came out and said, you can't let this guy speak, which is hilarious because it's not, again, he's not, he's not out there. He's not an extremist. He's not promoting anything. So why why would we not allow in a democracy someone to speak? And then Steam Whistle come out to say, ooh, you know, we don't agree with his views. He just rented the space. And he said, I don't like your beer anyway. And, I, and good for him because because they should have the, the gonads to say, take a hike, you know. But they didn't. And this is the problem with society right now is we've got in this neutrality. Steam Whistle can't be attached to anything. We're just a beer company. No, you're not. You employ people, you know, you, 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 you're allowed to say, take a hike, you know, we let the guy rent our space. You don't need to put a press release out about it. So I'm glad he called him out on it. And I don't drink, so I don't know what steam wants to taste like, but, but, but again, you know, I'm sure it's craft beer. So, well, I, uh, let's just say that I've, I've partaked and, uh, you know what, just based on this, I may not partake again. One question that, uh, you know, it, it's a very timely question right now, but we, it seems like we have record prices still in the real estate. We have still low inventory, uh, but are the higher interest rates, are you think that's going to actually pull back some of the market? Well, it has to a little bit. And, and from what I understand, it's, it, it's already happening. Now, the, the thing is, it's not going to move quickly, nor do we want it to move quickly. 
Um, but you can't you, the, the, the cause and effect. There's no question that the market pulls back. But but again, it's not um, it's it's not our only challenge, right? I mean, we we printed six hundred million dollars of money in 24 months. I mean, inflation was going to happen no matter what. Um, when you have red tape all over the place um, to, to, to build, um, it slows the process down and, and therefore, you know, you, you just don't produce um, s- sustainable, sustainable housing. I, I, I mean, there's so many, you go back to, I mean, Rick, I talked about building the house, not, you know, five to seven years ago. And it, we were, we were in the, you know, 225 a square was super high end. I mean, today to build a house, um, you're talking 300, 350 a square. I mean, th- again, it's, 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 yes, will interest rates help? Sure they will. Um, um, but like, we've got to see, we've just got to see the inflation stop. Um, we've got to see the, again, how do you curb demand? Well, 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 you produce what is in demand, right? And I mean, if, if we're not producing housing quick enough, um, then, then, then demand is going to re- remain high. It, and the, the the next struggle of it is is you know we saw this a little bit in 08, not to the extent that, that the U.S. Um, did see it, but let's say that the housing market does go the other way. Well, how many people in that middle, even high middle income earners, are going to be offside on their house? And and this is the concern. So they bought thinking, oh my goodness, we have to get into the market now. And then in five years from now, they go either to one, renew their mortgage, um, or two, have to move for, for, for some reason. Um, and, and all of a sudden they're on the wrong side of their house. So it's a, again, you're walking a tightrope mm-hmm. mortgage or interest rates will help, but this is a complex problem, um, that really has been around for some time. Um, and has multiple factors, but the $600 million that dumped into the market in the t- last 24 months has not helped, uh, and, and that's just the, the honest truth. Yeah, and it's a cause and effect thing too. I think, you know, if, if anyone's going to make any projections, it's probably going to be higher interest rates. I mean, I, I think that's just going to, it has to continue based on our economy's running pretty white hot still. And, and I haven't seen the latest numbers, but it seems like, you know, when you're running that hot, uh, th- there's only one way to, to go, which is higher interest rates. Yeah, and, let, and, and again, let's not, I mean, I think I, I purchased my first house some, I'm going to say 2001, 2002. Okay. And I'm quite sure, although I don't, I don't have it, I don't have the statement, but I'm, I'm quite sure our interest rate was pretty close to 6%. We're still, we're still a long way away from a 6% interest rate. And, um, and, and again, I, I, I think that's the other piece of this that we've got to realize is like, we were almost at a place of, of, of no, of negative interest rates, which, which, you know, Ask Japan how that's worked out. Like, like there are, there, there is a balance here, um, and and we do have to we do have to move in the right direction, and it will and it will start to soften markets, um, and unfortunately, um, there will be cause and effect, and some of that some of that effect is going to be that people enter the market at the wrong time, and it, and it's going to hurt them. I, I know probably you you have a, a place close to downtown. Um... How how is uh and I know they're going to do the uh, the the shutdown of of Bernard like downtown on Bernard. What's your sense of that? Do you do you like it? Do you like bringing your family down there? Is that is that something you like to enjoy? Because I know it's it's about to uh, go into effect again. I think the idea is awesome, and I think as long as we continue to move it forward, because like anything in life, it needs to continue to progress. 
but it it's off to a pretty good start. Um, there are some complexities that come with it. <clears throat> You're right. I do live pretty close to downtown. Um, the reality of our city is it's not, it has not been very well planned um, in compared to other cities of its size. So I don't know if you've tried to, to, well, I know you have, cause I know where you live too. So if, if, if you've tried to leave, um, you know, central to South mission, anytime between three and six o'clock these days, um, there's no exit. Uh, it's a parking lot on, on Pandozi and Lakeshore. It's a parking lot on Richter, Richter, and it's becoming a parking lot on Gordon. So again, um, yes, I'm, I'm for it. And I love, you know, we're talking about Bernard in, in, in exclusivity. It's great. Um, and, and, but some of the challenges that we face as we do these things is ensuring that we have traffic routes that make, that make sense. Uh, but the idea for restaurants um, to expand into the street, uh, is, is, is although new to Kelowna, not new to society, uh, you know, th this exists all over the world and, and I've been to some great ones. So I would love to see it expand. Uh, but we've also got to be cautious of, of a city that's very congested and we're not even in summer. What's interesting too is you have, um, you know, I know there's a mandate to create more bike paths and everything else. And, and the other day I had Gary Norcom on and, and, and of course he's an advocate. But I, we have November through February and, and, and even into March where it's, it's pretty cold to ride a bicycle uh, in town. So I don't know if we'll ever get away from having a vehicle. I mean, I have a motorcycle. I, I, I try to use my e-bike as much as I can. But I, I think there's a reality that we live in Canada. <laughs> you know? Yeah, we, well, we live in Canada and, and, and as much as... Uh, we, we live in Canada and we, we don't have, we truly don't have mass transit, which is, which, you know, again, it, it doesn't, you know, Europe is a classic example where it doesn't have to be a socialist model. I mean, I mean, there are multiple train companies that exist in Europe. Um, it is a, it is a way to move. Uh, again, when you get more, more metro, metropolitan, um, you know, subway systems, um, SkyTrain systems, none of which we, we're, we're are even on the radar, mostly based on our size. Um, but, 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 you know, there, there's no question vehicles, uh, are, I, I've, I've, I have done this about, listen, as, as we put this, this ridiculous tax on an essential service, which is gasoline right now with no ability for anyone to buy EV. And even if we could get people up to EV standards, um, uh, we have not got the infrastructure um, to support it. If we were to move to EV in British Columbia the way they want to, we would need 10 site C dams. With the federal regulation that's been put in over the over the liberal um, time and power federally, it will be impossible to ever build another site C dam. So you understand the catch-22, but we can't build the infrastructure to support EV, and we're taxing essential service gas um, at, a, at an exorbitant amount, 50 cents a liter, I think, in British Columbia at some, some points. Um, it really puts us in a bind. And and listen, to your point, uh, we live in a cold country. Um, you know, you, you know, ride the bus. Well, that's a great idea until I got to get a kid over to swimming and another one to hockey, and I and I got to go to the doctor. I mean, come on, it's it's not feasible. And um, we've got to start facing these realities. You know, to tie into an early segment. You know, that's the messaging of Pierre. Right? Is like is like let's start being realistic about these things and. And not not try and save the world. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, we're we're going to dive a bit more into this because actually I was in a policy meeting for uh, Chamber of Commerce and and there was a very interesting discussion that broke out. Well, a while back I was part of this uh, Chamber of Commerce and uh, 
And what the whole event was around was uh, coming up with uh, ideas surrounding policies that they could bring to government and, and lobby for. And, and one of them was transportation. And it was a very interesting discussion. I had a, it was a university professor who was chatting about light rail. And, and uh, he'd done a, a dissertation or a thesis around light rail in, in Kelowna using the rail trail elevation of 10, 12 feet above the rail trail and just running this, this light rail system. And uh, some interesting ideas came as a result of that. One was, you know, uh, Uber. Uh, you know, Kelowna should have Uber because I think that would lessen it. Um, one was the uh, having the right side, sorry, the, the right side coming into the left side as far as HOV lane, like in the rest of the world. And the other one was um, disruptive technology, which was having self-driving cars and how a lot of people are going to have, you know, shared cars. So one of us will have a Volvo and, and you know, the Volvo's going to be taking your kids to hockey and, and that sort of thing. So uh, very interesting discussion. But what, you know, this EV technology and, and the, the fact that we may or may not have enough power to support it. Um, I think Kelowna's going to have some big transportation concepts they have to wrestle with coming up. Would would one hundred percent agree with you? And and again, I think it's going to take some some um, some big thinkers to solve the problem. <clears throat> but I can tell you right now, the problem is is being piled on. It's it's not going the right direction. And you touched on it a little bit. I mean, Uber as an example is is I mean, besides the fact uh, that that there's actually statistical data around um, around the reduction of drunk driving because because of uh, the ability to use um, apps like Uber and or ride sharing apps for that matter. Um, it's, it's, it's beyond that. When you talk about, about, you know, the transportation issues that we're having, why would the provincial government block us from allowing Uber to enter Kelowna? And the answer is because they protect the cab industry. Um, so I would ask them, what is their mandate? Uh, because they love to pretend that they're one thing, but yet they do another. And and there's a class example that I think you can apply to all of this. I, I'm I, again, you know, listen, the rail trail is amazing, but do you not think that there was a ability to repurpose? And I'm and I'm not, I don't know enough about rail, but I would assume we could have upgraded that and and possibly had a high speed train run from here to Vernon or 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 beyond. I, I mean, again, we're not, we are not making real investments in infrastructure um, that solve long-term problems. Um, we are trying to tax our way out of it, uh, which does nothing more than drive the middle class into poverty. And, and, and I would love to hear somebody argue the other side of that because it's just the reality. We're not doing what we need to do to make fundamental changes. Um, riding bikes, in, uh, to your point, <laughs> the break, riding bikes in Canada in January uh, maybe in Victoria is an option, but it's not in Kelowna and it's sure not in Saskatoon or Winnipeg because I've been there and <laughs> I plugged a car in. So I, I again, I, I'm, I'm until, until we get a government that actually can, can, can turn its brain on, um, and not just run around with the latest woke phrase, we're, we're, we're going to be stuck in this, in this challenge. And, and again, the question, can you, can the municipal government solve it? I don't think so. I, I don't think they're empowered to solve Kelowna's um, uh, infrastructure problem around um, around this. I think they can lobby. 
but if they don't have the support, nothing's going to change. Okay, we'll we'll get back to this because this is a good one, and we're down a rabbit hole a little bit. Uh, the fact that you know we have some massive decisions we got to make now. The question to you is, as as a as a Kelowna taxpayer, could you see agreeing to like say it's a one time tax of I don't know, let's say a number of two hundred dollars, and with that two hundred dollars, we're going to build a momentous light rail system, subway system. It's going to be some other uh, conduit for people to use, say between the airport in downtown Kelowna, would that be, would that be something that you think a lot of, not just us, but do you think that would actually fall or resonate with uh, the public saying, listen, you're going to, you're going to carry the weight of this decision right now. And it's going to benefit people, you know, in future generations. Do you think people would, would actually buy into that? Or do you think it would get a massive amount of pushback? It's a, you know, I think there would be buy-in, um, because I think people understand that change has to happen. Um, I think people would, would ask the same cynical questions that, that you know, ran through my mind as soon as you said, you know, okay, we're going to tax you at, again, the, the amount is it could be 2000 it could be 200 it could be $2. You know, the first place my head goes is how much of that is going to get eaten up in administrative crap uh, before we ever break ground? And, and again, this goes back to my challenge about, about the bureaucracy of governments, right? I think the idea makes sense we need to start planning for these things um you know and then and then it's it's utilization so so and, and again this is this world we find ourselves in um where where well well if we run it from the airport to to downtown um who benefits and and then we say well okay let's run it from Anne McClement school to downtown. And then everyone says, well, that's where the rich people live. So we can't do that. Okay. So <laughs> let's run it from Rutland. And then somebody's going to say why that doesn't work. And, and, and again, I just, you know, where do we start and where do we stop? Um, you know, and I'm being facetious, but that's the struggle with this, right? Is we have to start planning this and it has to be on a mass scale. That's why I don't think it can be fixed municipally. I think you at, at a very minimum have to do it at the provincial level and we all know they ignore our valley. So so that's not happening. So and then you go to a federal level and and well, I don't think I need to say more than that. So <laughs> I, I mean, you know, hypothetically could we could we could we do it? Sure. But but not not in the current state, I don't think. Okay, so you're you're suggesting hoverboards then. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> you have a young family, and uh, w- what are you looking forward to doing with a young family this uh, this summer in Kelowna? Uh, well, I think you touched on it earlier. I mean, Bernard for sure. Um, you know, the, the the whole downtown. Um, the, you know, all of our downtown has become quite exciting. Um, you know, except some of the street problems that we're having, um, but. But um, I really think that uh, engagement, um, I, I really hope to see festivals turn back on. I want to see people out, um, you know, being shoulder to shoulder again. Uh, I think um, I'm craving it. I know my spouse is craving it. And, I, and as you pointed out, I have a young son who needs to see that and understand that, that that's okay. And that's how the world has worked for thousands of years. And um and uh, that's probably the part I'm, I'm most excited to get back doing. I love tourists because um, they're the staple uh, of our of our financial stability. <laughs> uh, we'll see August long if I'm if I'm still loving them as much. I mean, that's always the highs and lows of our city, <laughs> right? I I would say the older I get, the earlier 
you know, it used to be I could make it August long and then July and now May long. I'm, I'm telling them to go home. But um, the reality is they're, they're a huge part of what we are. They're a huge part of what we do. I actually do enjoy the bust, the hustle and bustle of the city. And I'm really excited to hopefully have a summer where, 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 where it's turned on. Um, I'm very optimistic towards that. We, uh, it's interesting too. We do have people that want to do festivals and, and obviously they try and pick long weekends where they, they get bigger draws because there's more people able to, to travel to them. But it's a, it's a seesaw because you have hotels and the hotel association, which carries a pretty big stick as well as policing saying, we don't need any more people on a long weekend. Like if you want this festival to go pick a shoulder season and then you'll get far more advocates for it. And and I do think that that's something you have to pay attention to. And at, at the municipal level, I mean, obviously, we want to be seen as a, as a town that welcomes these festivals and concerts and that kind of thing. But it's very real between policing and, and housing these people. It's a struggle in Kelowna. Well, well without question. And, uh, and again, I think you have to have their insight because, you know, we, we talked about this. We, you know, go, go back a couple a couple of breaks and, and, you know, we talked about are the RCMP failing and do we need a provincial task force? You go, you know, this is the same group that would tell you not to host it on a long weekend. We host it on a long weekend. And then we go, I can't believe that you guys couldn't control this. You know, I, so we have to have their insight. <laughs> I, I think it's the reality of Kelowna. Um, you know, should we be having a three day festival on a long, on August long weekend? I would argue no. Could you go to the 15th, though, of August? Yes. Um, should we be hosting one on July long weekend? Probably not. Could you go Could you go mid, mid-month? mid I would I would say yes. We're always going to feel the pressures. Nobody wants to have a comp- or no, nobody wants to have a concert in in Kelowna in November. I mean, that's our reality. And and you also have to go with, you know, kids out of school and university kids and all the and all the parts that come with it. Um, we need those. They're very good for the city. I participated in them as a 20 as a 20 something and they were um you know amazing parts of my life you go back to the days of early days of Wakefest, and and you know that's just a i mean it's just a a vibe that that um, people need to experience in their life um and but again it's that fine line you know like everything they they grow and they grow and they grow and they get out of control and then we've got to move them and that goes back to the days of regatta long before uh, my time, right? I, um, it's, it's you know, sometimes they end in riots, and, and that's unfortunate, um, but you can't stop it. It's it's human nature to do these things. It's how we get connections. Um, it, it, it's, it's promotes, uh, it promotes interaction, and right now in society, we need it, and we need it bad. We do. It's... Uh... Yeah, Center of Gravity Wakefest. You mentioned those. I've never seen so many half shirts in my life as uh, during that <laughs> festival. Anyway, Jeff, it's been uh, an absolute pleasure chatting with you about. I think we've covered a, a pretty good gamut here. Elon Musk uh, buying Twitter to, uh, of course, uh, police force transportation. I, we covered a lot of bases. I want to thank you for your time today. Hey, thank you. I, you know, I really appreciate the opportunity to to, to talk. And uh, and I enjoy it. Well, I know you're <laughs> you're bottled up with all those opinions, so I'm glad we have a venue for you. <laughs> hey, listen, I tell everybody in my life, don't mistake my intensity for anger. You know, it's just this is the way I was born. So I'm 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 a passionate person in many parts of my life, and and you know, this is the thing, Rick. If we don't have these conversations and we don't talk about getting better, which is really what I think we're doing, uh, what's the point of being here? And 
And, and this comes back to democracy and the ability to have opinions and free speech. We haven't said anything today that I believe is offensive. I think these are opinions. And, we, and, and, and if we're not having the conversation, we're going the wrong direction. Yeah, and, and that's the biggest thing is, is even if I hear an opinion that I disagree with and, and fundamentally disagree with, I, I still hope and, and that I can listen to it and at least at the very least uh, understand, try to understand that other person's position of, of going, okay, so you feel that way. I wonder why you feel that way. As you know, I teach at the uh, Okanagan School of Business and, and, you know, during the federal election, I asked, who are you voting for? And and a lot of students said, well, voting for NDP because they're going to pay off our student loans. And I went, <laughs> fair. <laughs> you know, that, that's a fair vote because, you know, if, if someone's going to pay off. In, in their world, that is an overwhelming force, which is that, that loan hanging over their heads. And a lot of people are in different positions and that kind of thing. So, uh, again, it's just hearing it and listening to it and, and trying to understand it. So, uh, no, I, I think more decisions around a table really help spur discussion which is what we're talking about. I look forward to the next one. Okay, my friend. Well, uh, thanks so much. And uh, we're here with uh, Jeff Cox, and it's uh, Rick Madison. And have a good night, everyone.